Last week we began our study in uh, this book, and what I love about this book is this book is going to be extremely practical as we as we travel through this. And uh, you know, I love the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews was very theological in its background, which I, I love also. But I love the practical side of things. This book is going to be written to a church that exists in a society that's very much like our own society. Their issues are going to be the same issues that we face. Their people are going to be just like us. This particular part that we're going to study today um, is, is, uh, is going to be, Paul lays out the philosophy of ministry as far as doing church. Now, um, this is going to be important for us. If you, if you grew up in the church, you know that in some churches you go to, when you join the church, they, you have to go to some classes, and you go to the classes, and they'll say, here's, here's a class about, here's why we do what we do, and other churches do it like this, but here's why we do what we do. Today, that's the class, and we're going to talk about that as we travel through. So here's your class. So um, you're going to see a little bit why we do what we do. Uh, We talked about last week how Paul had come to this church. This letter is written about five to eight years after Paul originally shows up in this town of Corinth. And we put a map up on the screen last week. And uh, Corinth is in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. If uh, you travel through Acts 16 and 17, what you'll find is that Paul, on his missionary journey, stops at Philippi, then Thessalonica, Berea, heads on down to Athens, and ultimately winds up in this town of Corinth. It's a Greek, it's a Greek town, and what we're going to see is it's a very Greek city, and that's very important because this is very, very different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a very, very conservative Middle Eastern town. They're very monotheistic. And, uh, you know, so it's very, very different than this very Western town. It's going to be a very permissive culture. Uh, they're going to be into things like sexual fulfillment. They're going to have uh, statues that we won't show you pictures of in church. They're going to emphasize recreation. Uh, it's a wealthy town. Again, lots of worship, lots of temples. Very different than Jerusalem, where there was one God that they worship. And so again, it's going to be very, very different, but it's going to look a lot like the society that you and I live in today. So Paul arrives in this town of Corinth, and we saw last week as we began the introduction that he just begins a Bible study. And he spends 18 months there, a year and a half. He establishes the church, church is going well, and then he wants to continue on in his missionary journey. So he hands the church off to another pastor. And uh, years later, the church is continuing on, but all of a sudden the people in the church, they realize that things aren't the same. Uh, something's not quite right. We still love God, but, but something's different. We feel like we're missing something. And so they, they begin asking, they see some of the things happening in the church. Is this okay? Is this really right? So what they do is they, take, they uh, gather a delegation, they write down a list of questions, and they say, go find Paul the apostle and uh, ask him to answer these questions because we want to get it right. So they track down Paul and they lay out what's going on in the church, and they say, Paul, here's our list of questions. There on your outline from last week, Paul's going to begin to answer their questions, but he's going to wait till we get to chapter 7 of this book. And uh, in chapter 7, Paul's going to say, now concerning the things about which you wrote. So what, what's going to take place is Paul hears uh, their list of questions, but he also hears about what's going on in the church. And he says, I'm going to answer your questions, but before I answer your questions, I really have to deal with the real issues that are that are taking place in the church. So we're going to deal with that first. So he takes the first six chapters to deal with some of the challenges and issues that he sees taking place within the church. Last week, we dealt with the first one. Paul said there's disunity in the church. There's a number of different factions in the church, and we talked about that. 
Now, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get the teaching from last week and listen to that. It's the introduction to the book, and it'll bring you up to speed. So that'll be important for you as we travel through. So after that, Paul's going to tackle the next situation that he sees in the church. And uh, we're going to find today that, that they started one way, but now things are very different. And what they've lost is they, they now have a misunderstanding of how God chooses to do things. God was doing things the way that he does them, but now they're embracing some new method. And so Paul's going to talk about that as we, we get into that today. So as we talk about this today, there's a few things that I need to say. First of all, um, we're going to take a big chunk today. I can't talk about everything that we see. We're going to move through. I'm going to have you underline a number of things. I like to underline in the Bible because when you go back through, those things pop out. It helps you to remember what it is that we were talking about. As we go through, there's two things that you you want to especially underline. If I forget to tell you, you still want to underline it. We're going to see the words wise and wisdom and fool and foolishness. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to compare God's wisdom versus man's foolishness. And so we'll see that as we, we travel through. But um, then next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at some things very, very specifically. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 1, and uh, we'll underline as we go. Verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross, and I have underlined that, the word of the cross is foolishness, underline that, to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man, my translation says? Where is the scribe, underline that, however your translation says it. And where is the debater of this age? Now some of your translations will say debater, disputer, or philosopher. Either way, underline that. He says, has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the, my translation says, foolishness of the message preached. How many of your Bibles say the foolishness of preaching? Good. That's actually more accurate to, to what's said there. The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and I've underlined that word, and Greeks search for wisdom. Greeks search for wisdom. So as we unpack this, first thing I want you to write down is that God's going to lay out his chosen method. And one of the things that we're going to see here is God chooses to use preaching. Go ahead and write that down. We saw that in verse 21. And uh, he says, through the message preached, some viewers will say through the foolishness of, of preaching, and uh, you'll recall, uh, we said, well, so what did, Paul, what did Paul preach? Last week we looked at a verse, and I put it on your outline from Acts chapter 18, and it says, he, Paul, settled there a year and six months, he comes to Corinth, and then I've underlined teaching the word of God among them. So that's what he focused in on, was just teaching the word of God among them. Later on, Paul would write to a pastor there on your outline, and he says, preach the word. That's always Paul's message to those in leadership, make sure you're preaching the word. Now this verse 21, I like how the King James says it there in your outline. He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Their very best wisdom, and we all know uh, the world highlights a number of people who are considered very, very wise, but in their wisdom they never really came to know God. So, so ultimately God says that's foolish. He says, but please God by the foolishness of preaching, and you want to underline that, to save them that believe. 
One of the things that Paul is going to talk about today is that Paul's chosen method for conveying his truths is preaching. Apparently this church is going into something else, and we'll talk about that. Now very, very quickly, it's very important to uh, write this down, but um, just, you want to just make note that God uses, and write this down, the foolishness of preaching, but not foolish preaching. That was funnier in my office. If you've been around the church for any length of time, uh, and you've been in various circles, uh, some will take this verse and they use it as uh, a reason to not prepare. And that's not what he's talking about. So God uses the foolishness of preaching, but he doesn't use foolish preaching. So just uh, tuck that away. But this is God's chosen method for, for communicating to his people. And remember that Paul is taking the first six chapters of this book to to uh, correct some things that he sees going on in the church. So apparently this church of Corinth had drifted away from some things. And one of the things that they've drifted away from is they've drifted away uh, from preaching the word of God in an attempt to be more relative. And what we're going to see is it's creating all kinds of problems. Verse 22, I put that on your outline, says the Jews demand miraculous signs and the Greeks look for wisdom. So this church is now doing things in order to, to somehow reach these, these groups. And he says, so one group, the, the, those who come from a Jewish background, they're seeking signs and miracles. And uh, they want to see healing of the sick and raising the dead. And Paul would say, you know, that's not bad, but, but when I came to you, I wasn't doing those things. I came to you and I was just preaching. God's chosen method is just preaching. And in some churches, it's, it's built upon miracles and signs. And the Bible does say that, that these signs will follow, but it never says to follow the signs. And so Paul says, when I was there, this is what I was doing. And then others, those from a Greek background, they were saying, we want wisdom. And uh, you could say philosophy. And uh, so what were they doing? Well, verse 20, apparently, they're, they're, uh, verse 20, it says, where is the wise man? Underline that. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? So apparently Paul sets this up and uh, there were those in the church and Paul says, you know, you, 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 you're saying now that we've got to use the wise people. Now when we say the wise people, we'd, call them the, we'd say the experts. And so you've got to use experts now to communicate. The scribes, if we were writing that in today's vernacular, we would say the PhDs. And uh, the debaters, some of your Bibles will say debaters, and some of your Bibles say philosophers. How many of your Bibles say philosophers? Okay, and how many of your Bibles say debaters? Anybody's Bible say disputers? Okay, so you have those three things. Typically that meant the, the philosopher. Now, uh, the reason for that, the philosophers in those days, this is a Greek culture, the philosophers would be kind of the stars. And they didn't have television and things of that nature. So, so they had these philosophers and they would give these great speeches. And so they're kind of like the rock stars of today. So in, in our case, the, the philosophers, they were the big name people. So it, we would say, well, if you really want to reach people in our culture, we'd say, you've got to bring in the football player who knows Jesus. You've got to bring in the singer that knows Jesus and, and then have them speak. And Paul says, you know, th- those things aren't, aren't, aren't wrong, but I'm writing to clear up a problem in your church. And Paul says, I want you to remember that God uses the preaching of his word, and the, uh, which is exactly opposite of how the world would do it. 
So Paul says, this is what they do. They want the wise, they want the PhDs, the expert, they want the big name personalities. And then verse 23, you want to notice, he says, verse 23, all of our Bibles have the same two words, and the same two words it begins with are, but we. Did your Bible say that? But we. They want that, but we, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. You want to underline that? To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. So, so to, to the, the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. That's what they do, but here's what we do. We preach Christ crucified. So another thing that God chooses to use, he chooses to use preaching, but the next thing that he chooses to use is a cross. And I want you to write that down. God chooses to use a cross. In verse 18, we kind of skipped over it, but it says, but the word of the cross is foolishness. The word of the cross is foolishness. And uh, there on your outline, verse 23 said, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. Paul says to this church, you're, you're leaning on these things in order to get people to come to Christ. Not that those things are bad, but here's what we do. Paul says, we get fully that the world, when we talk about the cross, that some will think it's just foolish. It makes absolutely no sense. Now in our culture, when we think of the cross, we tend to think of a thing of beauty. We think uh, a piece of jewelry, something that we look at, you know, it's kind of lovingly. And, and, and so, but in that culture, when we talked about the cross, remember that the cross in that culture was the form of execution for the worst of the worst. So it wasn't something of a thing of beauty in that culture. So imagine it like this. Dads, moms, um, you have a 19-year-old daughter, and you're having some problems with your daughter, and you think, what in the world am I going to do with this child? Just trouble, trouble, trouble. And then one day she comes home, and she's totally changed, totally changed. You go, what in the world has happened to my daughter? She's, she's kind, she's loving, and all this, and you know, on and on. And uh, she says, Dad, Mom, I want you to know I'm, I've met somebody and I'm giving my life to follow him. And I, I want you to know that, that it's not a man that I'm going to marry, but it's somebody that I want to follow. And he just died in the electric chair. And I'm giving my life to follow him. All of a sudden, parents with the hairs on the back of your head kind of raise up. And so he said, I'm, I'm going to give my life to follow him. Not only that, Mom and Dad, look, I got matching electric chair earrings that I'm wearing right now. So, so, and he's saying things, things I've never heard before, just wonderful things. He's saying things like, it's better to die. You know, to die is to gain. And I just love this man. I want to follow him. And I'm devoting my life to his teaching. To which we as parents, we would rightfully say, um, you know, in our society, we don't typically hold those who died in electric chairs, uh, in, electric chairs in the highest of esteem. So it's kind of weird that you'd be wanting to follow somebody that just died in the electric chair. Parents, is that pretty much how we'd feel? And then you think, Dad, if you're like me, you say, well, I'm going to follow my daughter and see what's going on. So you follow her, and she goes to this place of worship. And you notice that on top of the building, they have a massive electric chair on the top of the building. You think, what in the world is with these people? And then you go inside, and there's a guy speaking, and behind them, there's a big picture of an electric chair. Would you be a little freaked out by that? Absolutely. So the idea is that in that culture, Paul says, we get that when we talk about the cross, that not everybody embraces that. It doesn't make sense to everybody. Verse 23, he says, 
For indeed, the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks search for wisdom. Um, verse, I'm sorry, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. So when he says to the, to the Jews a stumbling block, I put that word there in your outline. Stumbling block, just a scandalon from where we get the English word scandal. It actually just means scandal. The Jewish people were not looking for somebody to come and die on the cross for their sins. They were looking by and large for a political leader that would come and establish Israel back to its former days of glory, but not somebody who died on the cross. So this was a scandal to them that they'd be saying, this is your Messiah, this is your Christ. So many rejected that. The Greeks would say, well, why do we want to follow somebody who died on a cross who couldn't even get himself off the cross? In their mind, that was the worst possible way of execution. And for the Greek, and even in our society today, it's very foreign for us to think about somebody who has to die on the cross for our sins. Um, it's, it's foreign for us to think that somehow somebody has to pay for the sins that we've committed for us to go to heaven or for us to be restored to relationship with God. And so as the Corinthians were ministering, they began to drift away from the simple straightforward teaching of the word of God in an attempt to be more culturally relative and they began to shy away from the central truth of the gospel embracing what you and I would call a more culturally uh, relative more culturally accepted gospel maybe one that talked about God's purpose is to fulfill your life God's purpose is to help make you happy. God has a wonderful plan for your life. All of those things may be true, but they're byproducts, but that's not the central truth of the gospel. And it became so bad. Uh, Verse 24 and 25, let me read that real quick. He says, but to those who are the called, your Bible will say it uh, however it says it, but my Bible says the called. However your Bible says it, underline that. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So to much of the community, this made no sense. But to those who he called the called, this makes perfect sense. But this church had drifted away from the gospel that talked about Christ having to suffer on the cross to pay for our sins, and we're drifting into something else. It got so bad that the end of this book, Paul has to stop and say, now guys, just remember, I need to remind you just what the gospel is. And there on your outline, he's going to conclude in chapter 15. Very quickly, I'll read it. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, they're still believers, the gospel which I preach to you. Uh, which you also received, in which you stand. And he says, and by the way, this is the gospel by which you are saved. Somebody, this is what saves you, right here. If you hold fast the word which I press, uh, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of, and I want you to underline where it says first importance. Does everybody see that? That's where you say yes. As of first importance, what I also received. This is the most important part. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In the gospel, there is nothing about being fulfilled. There is nothing about God having a wonderful plan for your life. The gospel is about 
Somebody had to die to pay for your sins. Now, is there fulfillment? Absolutely. Is there a wonderful plan? Certainly. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God had to come to the earth and he saw that we were on the path to an eternity separated from him. And the Bible calls it hell. And we were on that path and God looked at us and he said, I don't want you to go there. But somebody's got to pay for these things that have been done. And so God said, because I don't want you to go there, I will come to the earth, I will step in and I will pay that price for you. So the gospel ultimately is either that he pays for it and we receive it as a free gift or we spend all eternity separated from God paying for our sins. And we can't miss that. Anything else is not the gospel. So they had drifted away from teaching that to something that was more palatable. And sadly, um, around the church landscape today, you'll find that many will talk about the gospels so that you can be happy, that you can be fulfilled, you can be this, you can be that, but they leave out the cross of Christ. That's what they were doing. Paul says, that's not a good idea. Does that make sense? So he says, and I use preaching. It makes no sense to the world, but that's the, the method I've chosen to use, God says. And uh, I use a cross, and the world says that's kind of nutty. Why would you do that? And then number three, uh, we're going to find out that God says, and I also choose to use ordinary people. Write that down. Ordinary people. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So I'm not going to do it like the world does it. The world says you have to have the personalities, the experts, the PhDs. God says, I'm going to do a little bit differently. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Verse 28, he says, and the base things, um, some of your translations will say lowly, something like that. That word just means common common. So what he's saying here in that word, God just chooses to use the common things. That you and I, we're just common people. He says, I choose to use that. And uh, he goes on and he says, and the despised. Does your Bible say something like despised? No, despised. Now in the margin, here's when he says the despised thing, what was despised in that culture was the cross as the electric chair is despised in our culture. So God chose to use the cross, that which is despised in that culture. But that's the gospel. So out there in your, in your margin, you want to write the word the cross. And the despised God has chosen, and the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are. And here's why, verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. And I've underlined that whole. He says, for by his doing, and I've underlined his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. They were beginning to think that the only way that God could work would be to use the experts, the PhDs, the big name personalities. Paul says, before we go any further, I want you to remember how this whole thing started. Verse 26, once again, he says, for consider your calling. Here's how you were called, brethren, that you were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, not many noble. 
So Paul says, remember how this whole thing got started? God didn't start with the wise. He didn't start with the big name personalities. He, he didn't start with the, the PhDs. He just chose ordinary people. Now, the reason God chooses to use ordinary people, it's, it's not that he doesn't have other choices, but he chooses to use ordinary people so that when God does something through them, we look on and we say, it has to be God. It has to be God. And we can't point to something else. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that it's wrong to use the big-name personalities. It's not wrong to use the experts. It's not wrong to use the PhDs or whatever. He says, but by and large, I mean, all of our Bibles are translated by people who have doctorates in theology and language. We need that. But God wants to use each and every one of us. And that's the idea. So I want you to write this down. Here's the point that Paul's making. The point is that God can use me. God can use me. So let me ask you a question. Do you think God can use you? Because I really struggled early on in my life. I would look around and I'd say, God, how can you use me? You know, I didn't have that testimony that other people had. You know, there I was, I was out in the world and on and on and on and on. You know, and, then, and then one day I met Jesus and, oh, that's a great thing. You know, I, I didn't have that. And, and, and yet, you know, so I really struggled that, that God could use me. And I think many of us, we struggle with that. And because we struggle with that, we never step out and allow God to use us. So we say, you know, we, we all have our, our past, we all have our history. We have where we've been. You know, some of us will say, well, you know, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a single parent. And not only I wasn't even married when I became a parent. Or you say, well, I filed bankruptcy. I've been dealing with addictions. I mean, you don't know my past. Either way, all of that may be true. And God wants to take all of that and he wants to use that if you will allow him. If you will allow. And he's allowed us to walk through some things. What he's allowed you to walk through is not what he's allowed me to walk through. Many of you know my dad spent 10 years in a, in a federal prison. My brother is currently in prison. I'm on the waiting list. And so, <laughs> and, 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 you know, so, so it, it doesn't, God's used that in my life. So I get around ex-cons, they don't bother me like they would bother other people. And uh, which I love about this church, by the way, because as I look around the church, we basically have three groups of people. You've either been in prison, you're a cop, or you're former military. Those are three things, you know. And uh, we're all here together. Now, we all sit on opposite sides of the church, but, but we're all here together. And it's great. I love it. Um, some time ago, a lady said, I locked my keys in my car. You know, shoot, can you help me call AAA? We're like, you don't need to call AAA. <laughs> we got five guys here today. They've broken into hundreds of cars. You're covered. But we've walked through some things. And what I've walked through is not what you've walked through. What you've walked through is not what I've walked through. But God wants to take all of that. He wants to do a work in our life, whatever it is, he says, and I want to use that now as I work out and, and reach other people through you. Through you. Now, here, here's what we say here at Calvary. Write this down. My misery today is my ministry tomorrow. Is your marriage on the skids? Well, God wants to repair that marriage, and he wants to use you to speak in the lives of other marriages. Are you walking through an addiction right now? You're really struggling. Here's what God wants to do. God wants to help you become strong in that and overcome that because he wants to use you to 
speaking to the lives of other people. He didn't make that happen, but he says, I'll use that. Are you divorced? He says, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That wasn't my plan, but I would like to use that because you're going to meet some other people who are walking through that same thing. Are you a single parent? And many of you know that when my dad went away to prison, I became a single parent overnight. For the next seven years, I was a single parent. I took custody of my younger sister. And, and God used that in my life. You want to know the reason why you come to Calvary and you'll never pay for a donut or a cup of coffee? Because I went to church and we were so broke. And we saw at church that if you wanted a cup of coffee, it was $1.50. And if you wanted a donut, it was a dollar. And I didn't have $1.50. I didn't have anything. We were just trying to figure it out. And I said, God, if you ever make me a pastor, sorry, if you ever make me a pastor and I ever go back in the ministry and we ever have donuts, nobody's going to pay a dime for those things. Because no single mom, no single dad is going to come here and say, I can't, I can't afford it. You can afford it here. Make sense? And God let me walk through that. And I didn't like it. <laughs> if I could change it, I'd go back and wouldn't do it. But he sure has used that in my life. He sure has used that. We don't want to walk through this stuff, but sometimes he allows us to walk through because he wants to use it in the future. So whatever you've walked through, whatever you're walking through, just know there's a purpose. He wants to do that. Let him do his work in you. And as he does his work in you, just know he's going to use that to speak in the lives of other people. Don't you give up on God. All right, let's move on. Sorry about that. Number four. (laughs) We're going to go to chapter two. Are we in chapter two now? Number two. It says, uh, chapter 2, write this down. God chooses to keep it sing- simple. God chooses to keep, keep it simple. Verse 1, he says, now when I, I came to you, brethren, Paul is speaking, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He says, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech. Uh, other ways of translating that, I've just put it there in your outline. Paul says, I, I didn't use big words and great learning. He says, I, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. You know, different ways to say that. Paul just says, I just kept it simple. That's all I did. Apparently, this church is moving away from keeping it simple into something else. And Paul is writing to correct what they're moving into. So in verse 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. As just a normal guy. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. Underline spirit and power. So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So we notice Paul in verse 4, he says, my message and my preaching. It's what he focused in on. We're not in persuasive words uh, of wisdom, but the, the demonstration of spirit and power. God's spirit and power was found in his message. You're not going to find a whole lot of Paul talking about the, the number of miracles that he did in Corinth. Were there some? Yes, but he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about that. And, and in verse uh, 1, he says, you know, when I came to you, I just focused in on proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I kept it very simple. We saw earlier that when Paul came to the church, all he did was for a year and a half teach them the word of God. That's what he focused in on. While he was at Corinth, one night God speaks to Paul, and here's what God says there in your outline. God speaks to Paul in Acts chapter 18. He says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, and underline this, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. 
for I have many people in the city. So God just said, Paul, just keep speaking. The power, the spirit is in the speaking. Let my word do it. Don't, don't complicate it. So here's what we know. Write this down. Paul focused on the word, not the show. Focused on the word, not the show. So he's just reminding of what he did. He, he wasn't lofty. He wasn't showy. He was just teaching the flock of God, the word of God. And one of the things that we're going to see as we travel through this book is that when Paul leaves, the focus of the church begins to go in another direction. They move away from teaching the word, beginning to focus in on the experts, the PhDs, the big name personalities, by the time uh, into a more relevant gospel. One of the things that we're going to find is they've moved so far away from the teaching of the word at church that by the time we get through chapters 12 through 14, Paul's going to stop and say, I hear things going on in your church. And he says, and it's so bad that if somebody was an, um, there was an unbeliever and they came to your church, they would say that you are out of your minds. Other translations would say, they'd say you're mad by the things that were going on. They had shifted away from the straightforward teaching of God's word. So Paul is correcting a problem that he sees. Make sense? So that's what God's called us here to do at Calvary. We focus in on the teaching of the word of God. Uh, We use ordinary people, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, let God use it. God still has something that he wants to do in your life if you let him. He uses preaching, and and so he uses a cross, he uses common ordinary people. So so why does he do that? Well, we're going to unpack this more next week, but we're going to pick it up in verse 6. He says, yet we do speak wisdom among those among those who are mature, they're believers. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, as my translation says it, which God predestined before the ages to, to our glory. Now, um, underline this. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So here's what he's saying. I want you to write this down. God's wisdom is hidden to unbelievers. It's hidden to unbelievers. And and so because of that, what Paul's saying is you're now trying to tailor everything in your church to a group of people that his wisdom is hidden to. So here at Calvary, one of the things that we do is that we, we don't tailor what we do on Sunday morning to people who don't want to receive, to those who can't receive. Um, we always want to create a very warm and welcoming uh, environment. We want when your children to go to children's ministry, we want them to hear about Jesus, we want them to be loved. We want, as you bring your guests to church, we want them to be able to enjoy everything that, that's here. But what we, we don't change the teaching of the Word of God because... Um, um, it might be offensive to some. We stick with this. There's a movement in our, in our country, and it's called the seeker-sensitive church. Have you ever heard of that? Now, we would not be part of that movement. We believe that the Bible says, no one seeks after the Lord, no, not one. But Jesus says, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. So it's not that man is seeking God, but God is seeking man. And when God is seeking man, God reveals to the, to, the, to the person who he is, and all of a sudden there's a hunger for the things of God. 
So we don't win them over with a show or a number of different things. We stick with the straightforward teaching of, of God's word. Make sense? Then we go on, verses 9 through 14, he says, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not been entered into the heart of man, all that God prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, and you want to underline for to us, and I want you to boldly underline the word us. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Underline that. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Verse 12, underline, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the, and I've underlined, the spirit who is from God, so that we, and I boldly underline that, may know the things freely given to us by God. Verse 13, things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit. I've underlined that last part, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The first part of that verse, he says, the things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom. The world would say, you need the experts, you need the PhDs, you need the the big name personalities. Paul says, but that's not really what we, we do. God can use those things, but our main focus is this. Verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And then underline, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So it's not that we tell people, don't bring your Bibles because that would be offensive to those who come in who are non-believers. We don't start with poetry. We're here at Calvary. I don't think it's wrong to do this, but when you come to Calvary, we're not going to start with a, a rock song in order to, to build the bridge. This is what we do. And we realize that when the eyes are opened, it has to do with the Spirit of God, not the method of man. As a matter of fact, I want you to write that down. Number two, God's wisdom is revealed through God's Spirit, not man's method. Verse 14, again, he says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. It, it, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So Paul is saying in this, so let's make sure that we, as we build this, we build this for those who can receive, those who want to, but not those who cannot. Does that make at least reasonable sense? And so that's a little bit of our philosophy of ministry. We always want to have a warm and welcoming culture, environment here, but we realize that, that we're here to teach the Word of God very simply and very straightforwardly. As we wrap this up, we talked about God using ordinary people. We believe here at Calvary, we're going to stick with the Word, but God uses very ordinary people. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, God still wants to use you. I believe it happens like this. I, I believe it, God wants to use us out in the world as we go out into where we live and, and where we work. And my, my viewpoint is, uh, is a viewpoint that was given to me by a, a great friend. He's a multi-level marketer, network marketer, made gazillions and gazillions of dollars doing that. But he says, 
He gave me an illustration one time. He says, Dan, he says, in my network marketing, here's what I do. I want to start a forest fire. He says, I liken it like this. I want to start a forest fire. And I have a box of matches. And I just start walking through the forest and I flick matches. I just flick matches. Just flick matches. Most of those go out. But every once in a while, one of those matches catch and it turns into a forest fire. And I've always held to that illustration when I go out into the world. And, and I ask, you know, I'll say, well, do you go to church somewhere? Well, do you have a spiritual background? Where do you go to church? And just ask. We have a new family move in across the street a few weeks ago. So out speaking with their 16-year-old son, new at Jupiter High School, and I just asked the question, so do you guys go to church anywhere? No, we, we, we haven't been to church in a while. We just got here, just got settled. Well, we got a great student ministry at our church and uh, started asking a couple questions. It doesn't know I'm the pastor. I said, you know, if you can get past the pastor, it's a little weird, but, but uh, you know. <laughs> rest of the church is pretty cool. And so he goes, I would like to do that. So hopefully this week he's going to show up. Now I realize all I did was flick a match. Somebody just happened to be interested. We'll see what happens. And so we do that outside. Here within the church, God uses ordinary people. You've heard me say in our home, we have 12 kids all total. We have 11 kids at home. What we've learned in our family is that when one child decides, I'm not doing my part, our whole family melts down. Because it takes all of us doing our part in order to make it through the day. Here at Calvary, if, if you're attending, and this is your church, you're a believer, but you've never taken that step saying, I'm going to participate. I attend, but I don't really participate. There, there's a large part of your spiritual walk a large part of your spiritual growth that's missing because you're not allowing God to use you in the context of the church family that he's called you to. So I want to encourage you. God uses ordinary people. Ordinary people. And so if you're not finding that place of serving, every week we talk about on the back of your cards, just check a box, we'll call you this week, we'll get you serving. Start serving one place, it's not working out. We'll get you in another place. We'll find the place that's right for you. But every person in the family has a responsibility to the rest of the family, to the rest of the family. So find that place. Don't let your past, don't let your issues, don't let whatever keep you from being used by God. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, in a moment I'm going to pray After the service, there's going to be some prayer partners standing in the front. They would love to pray with you. Don't leave here today until you know that you know that you know that you have settled your relationship with the Lord, that you know that you've accepted his free gift of salvation, that he has stepped into your life. You've been, as the Bible calls it, born again, saved, transformed, however you want to say it. You know that something's happened. Let me pray for you. Father, as we wrap up this service today, we ask that, that uh, for all of us, for some, Lord, a, a good reminder, this is why we stick with the teaching of the word. We focus on the word, not the show. For some of us, Lord, we were reminded once again that you use common people. And uh, we've been listening to a voice inside our head saying, you can't, you can't use me. And we know that that voice does not come from you. And so today we purpose to find our place of serving both outside, inside, and basically we, become, we come before you and we say, God, I'm giving you myself. Where you lead me, I will follow just as we sang a few moments ago. 
And we invite you to lead us to that place in your kingdom where you use us. For those of us who have never invited you in, we're looking to you today and we're just saying, yes, come in. I don't fully understand it. I want you. And if that's you today, again, there's going to be some prayer partners standing by in the front. Don't leave here today without settling that issue. Father, keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.